Anybody else who wants to add to what Andrew proposed? Hi, yeah, uh, good evening, Serge, and uh, morning to everyone else. Um, uh, from from what Coach Andrew said earlier, um, I don't know, uh, I've been binge watching Netflix, The Last Dance, uh, the story about uh, Michael Jordan, and um, uh, I highly recommend it um, as a sort of, sort of an education. Um, there, there's so many millions of takeaways, um, although it's about basketball, that, that I feel that I can apply to, to swimming. But um, uh, one of the, the key uh, components for me was, was not Michael Jordan um, and, and his uh, incredible ability and his mindset and uh, uh, his leadership as a captain. The, the guy's an arsehole. Um, but, um, but the coach, Phil Jackson, um, re really seems to, uh, again, uh, this is a Netflix, so I don't know how it was edited, but the, the coach, Phil Jackson, seemed to be really uh, masterful at being able to um, structure and run this team with, with these uh, different animals. And, and um, I don't know too much about basketball, but Michael Jordan is, is one animal. And he's, uh, I think, regarded as his best friend, Scotty Pippen, is a very different animal. And then they recruited Dennis Rodman, who, if you know anything about Dennis Rodman, is um, also a very, very different kind of uncaged animal. And for me, also interesting was a, a player, which I don't know too much about, called Steve Kerr, who, who in contrast to the other three main guys, uh, seem to be a lot more subdued, a lot more in the background, um, not perhaps as confident or as aggressive. Um, but when it came to the training from Phil Jackson, this is what I understood from watching the documentary, is the training was similar. But Phil Jackson's mastery was in his ability to manage each one of these very, very different animals um, according to, to their strengths and weaknesses and being able to uh, developing that relationship. And Sergio, I think, uh, Miguel, maybe you've mentioned this uh, many times in, in your past uh, Zoom conferences with us, is, is um, while, while the training is one big aspect of what goes on, really ha the, the management of the individuals amongst uh, the team is sort of where, where, where the magic happens and um, uh, and getting the athletes to to do what it is that you're you're, you're trying to achieve um, like I say Phil Jackson's ability um, to understand the characters that were uh, playing for him all of them incredible athletes in their own right but all of them uh, very very different people rather than very very similar people and I think that's, um, to me, ultimately comes down to the success of the, the Chicago Bulls for uh, winning um, or, or achieving all, all that they did over that time with Phil Jackson. Thanks, Jill. I think you're right. I, I think, look, a few years ago, I had this argument with my associate director, uh, my athletic director, and I told him, I said, and I don't know anything about American football. I don't know how to play. I never played it. I watch it on TV because it's exciting on TV. In a football game, when I go live, I watch it because the first 10 minutes before it starts, it's awesome. And then I get lost. But I told him one day in a big argument that we had, it's like, look, you fire, uh, and at that time, our school was top 10 in the, in the country in football. I said, you fire the football coach and you give me his job. Instead of paying me $3 million like you pay him, you pay me two. And our football team is going to win. You will see. Why? Because I'm going to spend $1.5 million to have all these people advise me about how I, I need to coach football. But I can run 100 people and make, motivate them and make sure that they go into the football field and they believe that they're the best. You know? And that's, that's your psychology. It's not about what you know about the sport. It's how you ma manipulate minds and make those minds feel that they're the best. They can come out and say, let's go fight, you know? And, and that's Phil Jackson and all these successful coaches are, are, are all, in all the sports. 
that's what they do. A lot of them, it's it's just about moving egos and moving and, and, and moving all those pieces. And that's a great, great, great point that you brought up, Jill, because that's that's super important. You know, that doesn't mean that I feel that I'm better than somebody else. But if you don't believe that you can move people, maybe we're in the wrong spot. You know. So. Uh, anybody else wants to piggy, piggy, piggyback with this? Hey, look, I see Taylor here. He just came in. Uh, you guys. Have you heard any of the conversation or you just got in here? I literally just got here this second. <laughs> so we were just talking about... Um, well, Andrew, you want to explain to him what you were? Uh, it started off as um, I was asking, um, you know, we've been in the talks in previous weeks and we've discussed what our favourite sets are, what kind of favourite exercises that we have for land drills. Uh, my question was, how do we, how do, what makes us decide that they're our favourite sets? How do we decide what we do and why we do it kind of thing? Um, and we kind of, rolled from there into a bit of uh, relationships we went rolled into um, relationships with parents so a lot of it came down to uh, relationships with the swimmers and the parents uh, we also spoke about a bit of reflection uh, and reflection on some of the processes that some of us have in place so instead of having a fixed plan uh, Miguel was describing how he gets swimmers coming in for like two or three weeks at a time rather than he can't really plan for them but he has using his experience he's got processes in place that he can kind of put people into um to get the most out of them for the short period of time he has them and sergio is sharing kind of some of the things that he does um where we place relationships and sergio said he puts it as paramount um, and then just lastly we we're getting on to talking about um uh, phil jackson in the last dance um, and how he manages individuals. So you can kind of get a little bit of an insight to his processing as well. Um, so yeah, in a, in a nutshell, I think I've covered most of what we spoke about, but we kind of, we kind of moved into a few different topics. Um, do you have anything to, you want to contribute here, Taylor? Anything to share? Or? Other than I'm losing my mind. <laughs> No, at the moment, <laughs> bloody Singapore. That's all I can say right now. I think the government's probably tracking me right now because I'm so angry everywhere. I'm just on WhatsApp. I reckon. I reckon they they've, they've got my number. I'm sure of it. For Getting sure. Mad. The police is right outside your door. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> but what's wrong? What? Why are you so so upset? Oh, I don't know. I was, I, I was, I was wishfully hoping we were going to get some kind of uh, return in June, but they decided to extend another four weeks. So, oh really? Yeah. I mean, we were we're getting one case a day, so it seemed like it would be a, a good a good thing. So it's yeah. I mean, it's a bit frustrating. I think I don't think I'm the only one. I think I know that the a bunch of sports got together on Sunday and went to the ministry and and put. Uh, Put a kind of plea to the the sports minister, but uh, yeah, so it'll be probably be July. So yeah, more of the same. I guess the frustration more than anything is the, the fear of getting left behind now, because a lot obviously we're seeing a lot of other countries opening and some countries who haven't been. So it's yeah, jealousy. That's what it is, really. Jealousy that other people are getting back to go. Uh, we have we here in America. We have some people already training in outdoor pools and. In our state, where we are, we cannot train yet. We can train, but there's no other pools for us to train that we can use. And we don't know. June 8th, is when they're going to tell us if we can use the indoor facility or not. So our governor is a very strange guy. So uh, so we don't know. We just take one day at a time. Yeah. Uh, Coach, uh, I'd like to ask. Um, I, I'm, I'm following on Swim Swam. Um, uh, there's a lot of talk now about East Carolina University swimming program is being closed down. 
and um, it's causing a lot of uh, uh, clicks on on the internet. But um, uh, somebody made a comment that um, they were worried that this will have a domino effect. <clears throat> um, the closing of a program like that. Um, what are your What are your thoughts? Uh, uh, not about East Carolina University, but uh, about the the effect on Olympic sports. Um, I know you mentioned before about budget cuts. Um, uh, you, you, you were in talks about budget cuts with your own program, and now we're starting to see some uh, programs um, uh, being cut, uh, especially in the Olympic sports. So. Uh, uh, like East Carolina, uh, they, wanted to, they cut the program, I think, three or four years ago. So it was, it was bound to happen because the athletic director doesn't want to keep it. It's a very simple thing. If, if they did an exercise like we did, all the sports, they could have saved $4 million if they wanted. Like we already saved over $3 million or something like that. And we just did an exercise to save between five to $10 million. And our athletic director, Touch Wood, has promised that they're not gonna cut any programs. You, know? you never know what the future is if football doesn't play. That's a lot of money that we lose. I think because of basketball, we lost $15 million. So that's a lot of money. So, so we don't know that, but I think it's uh, some programs, but the, the athletic directors, they want to cut them. So I think some of them that you're gonna see uh, cut as they were on the chopping block from before. Uh, I think we don't know what type of season we're gonna have. So if we don't have the first, Three or four months of the season, the fall, the fall, the fall semester, we already we're gonna save three or four hundred thousand or five hundred thousand dollars. So, so it, with all that, I think so far we'll be able to to survive. Um, I'm not scared right now. Uh, I have to do by June fifth evaluations for my coaches, and and then they get renewed because here they go year by year. So, they promised me that we're going to renew every coach. So, so uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not that concerned. Now, one of the things that we really have to do that we work through that all year is about fundraising, you know, making sure that we get money from the alumni. You know? and, and I know it's a hard, a hard thing, but we have such a big number of alumni that if, even if they donate $5, that's a big difference. This year, in three days, we raised eighty-five thousand dollars. You know, in three days. So, um, so that's one thing that we have to work very hard at keeping up. You know, keeping the alumni happy, keeping the the supporters happy, informed with videos and this and that, and you know. So hopefully, money keeps coming back. Um. So. Uh, uh maybe you can teach us uh, I think this is maybe more for for me uh, I don't know how the effect on Singaporean coaches but um, for example those incoming um, freshmen into that university for example East um, and um, th that program now be, uh, very probably being shut down um, and there's a there's a similar uh, different story, but in the same way, I see um, Coach Kip is leaving Northwestern University to to go to to take over at USC. And uh, there, there's a very there's a, a, an outstanding swimmer, a young boy here from uh, Singapore, uh, an American boy who is supposed to start at Northwestern in um, uh, in the new season now. Um, so recruited by Coach Kip and, uh, and his team. And uh, I'm wondering, uh, maybe from your experience, or also maybe Coach uh, Alex uh, Schill, um, th that effect, you know, like uh, I have, say, a swimmer who has uh, shown intent or signed on or accepted a position at ECU or Northwestern University, and now they're... The, the coach that they believed that they were going to go swim for is now no longer there, or the program that they were going to go swim on is no longer there. So um, what are your comments, or how, how do we deal with uh, some of those swimmers that, um, well, that find themselves in that situation? 
yeah, there's a couple of things for the programs that they're getting cut, you know. Uh, one of the things that most of the universities are doing, and traditionally they do, even for East Carolina, it's gonna happen, I believe. They're gonna keep whoever they have in the team or, you know, with the scholarships that they have. So they, they won't be able to, to, if they stay at East Carolina, they can get their degree. And if you have a full scholarship, you, you'll get a full scholarship for the next year or two years, whatever many years you, you, you need to graduate. So that's a good thing, you know. Uh, it's a good thing in the negative scheme that they're gonna cut the program. Like today I, I spoke with one of the girls from, uh, from the Czech Republic that she's from East Carolina, that she's looking at transferring, you know, and there's already many schools that have offered her a full scholarship. So many of those kids are gonna find teams. So it's, you know, it's, it's a hard thing when they cut the program, but there's two pretty good solutions, you know. Uh, you know, they're gonna find a team and if they don't wanna swim anymore, they can stay there and they're gonna get their education paid if they had a scholarship or not. With Keep Living to USC, you could see that coming from a long time ago uh, because he was with Dave Sello uh, for eight years or nine years and he did a very good job there recruiting and all that. And he probably was one of the top people in the list to be the successor of Dave Sello at USC. So whoever chose Northwestern, they had to have that in their mind if they, if they follow swimming. Um, Northwestern is a very good school. And the athletic director, I know because before they hired Kip, they offered me the job and I said no. But my son, I coached at Northwestern for four years in that amazing school. And uh, my son was born there in Evanston. But I told them no because I didn't want to go back to Chicago. And, but the athletic director, the top athletic director, really explained to me what they want to do. And it's unbelievable what they want to do with the sports, you know? And the money that they're plugging into the Olympic sports. So whoever chooses to go there or whoever they pick to go there, I think is going to be a pretty good coach, a very good coach. And and if they're patient to try to understand who they choose, they're going to find out that maybe they get somebody better than Kip. I'm not saying that he's he's not a good coach, but you you never know. You know that's one of the top jobs in the country too. It's a Power Five school, one of the top schools academically in, in the world. And it's a very nice place to live, you know. So there is, I think that kid from Singapore, it, it sucks for any kid that signs to go to that school and now the coach leaves. But also if they sign a national letter of intent, when the head coach leaves, everybody gets released from that. So they can leave without penalty or anything. So, you know. I, I don't think I don't think he's that worried, Gil. To be honest, I think I think they're quite I think they're quite comfortable. And I think the guy who actually recruited them with the what's his name Manchester assistant coach. So he's, yeah. So I think he's he was kind of the per, the contact person anyway. Like and I think I think because he was a backstroker and stuff like that. So I don't think he's that worried. It's a bit of a shock, but. Like, I think, like Serge says, I don't know. He'll do fine with everybody. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I definitely understand it from that point of view. Um, uh, but but I, I'm thinking about sort of from the, the athlete's point of view. So let's say I'm developing a, a swimmer and, and my swimmer wants to go swim with Sergio Lopez at Virginia wants to be a Hokie and uh, that's what we're set up over the next uh, three, four years. Um, and then just as we're about to get there, then Sergio is, uh, uh, I'm returning to Singapore as the head coach of Singapore uh, National Sergio. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking more about the dealing, dealing with the, the athletes. Those that, those that are going to the school for the academics, um, that's one thing for sure. Um, my, my own experience when I was in uh, California, we had a, there was a girl who transferred. Uh, she, she was a, a good breaststroker. She was at uh, Michigan with uh, Mike Bottom and she was, uh, uh, she, she couldn't manage. Uh, she hated it. Um, I don't think it worked well. And then she came over to San Diego and she really uh, took off. 
um, but um, but sort of preparing from from that group, you know, like selling selling the American dream, uh, or selling uh, the the athletes on these big name coaches um, or big programs. The, if the child's made that decision to swim with that coach, my question is more based on how we deal, how are we dealing with those children uh, uh, in terms of like we, we were speaking earlier at the start of this call about like the relationships and the effect of the, the relationship. So we had somebody initially looking to go to, this is just an example to train with Sergio at, at Virginia Tech at, not because of the academics of Virginia Tech, but because of Sergio at Virginia Tech, because of the coach or, or, or what that program was. And now, for whatever reason, Sergio is not there or the program is not there and, and sort of working with the, the mindset of that athlete. Now, either hopefully that, that swimmer can maybe transfer to go and swim with the coach um, uh, in a different program or or has to accept the new coach coming in if they, if they remain at that, that original school. And the, the, the motivation, I think, is, is what I'm getting to. The motivation is different or, or the relationship or, or the whole idea is, has been changed. Yeah, I, I've done that many times for different reasons in teams. And I remember when I was at Northwestern, I recruited one of the top guys in the world uh, to come and train with Mac Rivers. He was a power flyer. And he chose just to go to Northwestern because of me. And when I got there, when, right before he got there, I left Northwestern. And he hated me for 15 years. You know? And there's nothing that I could explain to him that I had two extra jobs that I couldn't sustain anymore. It's, it was not about coaching because I had Mike Rivers, Mike Alexander, who built a team to be top four in the country. And to me, I was the associate head coach in a beautiful place, but, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't support it. And he didn't want to understand that. And it was a very hard, but you know, 10 or 12 years or whatever years later on, he wrote me an email and he really told me, kind of apologized and accepted that we all have our lives and we have to do certain things, you know, and for different situations. I think you have to, as a, as a coach that you recruit somebody, you have to really talk to them and explain to them and the parents why you left. You know? I don't know why Kip left. The only thing that I could say is because he trained, he coached at USC. He's an amazing school athletically, a, a lot higher athletically than, than Northwestern. But he also had some pretty good top top swimmers. I recruited one of the best, the, the best breaststroker that they have, this girl from Sweden. We've recruited her at Virginia Tech and she was about to come to Virginia Tech. We brought her from Sweden. We had her on, on our hands. She loved it. You know, I hang out with the dad and, and out of the blue, Northwestern calls. Doesn't even go to visit Northwestern, and she decides to sign with Northwestern. You know, so a lot of these kids also choose. And, and I asked her, like, how come if you were going to come to, or you really wanted to come to Virginia Tech? And pretty much they told us that it was the academic side. Northwestern was uh, internationally so much more well known than, and she's a kid in the in, in the Swedish national team, a really good breaststroker. Like I think. 108 or long course 107 and 220 something. So that happens a lot, you know. And so I think I think I feel for them, but they'll have a good solution. And they, they have the like you said, the, the choice to if Kip really wants them to follow them, to follow him to USC. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's it's a tough subject. It's a tough situation, but. It happens a lot. I think from looking from um, the other side of things as well, I was down here in Australia, I was dealing with um, a few kids that were uh, heading over to college in the US. And when they were looking, I sort of encouraged them to not only pick a school based on the current coach that was there. Um, that could be a contributing factor, but it's important to also want to go to that school because of the academics or the program as a whole or um, and if you take that coach out of the program is that still a place you'd want to go because I think this like situations like this happen all the time and um, I, I follow a lot of college football stuff and college football recruiting is crazy because every year it's 
the coaching carousel starts and coaches move all over the place and kids get left sort of in the dark because as a almost an afterthought with some of that stuff. And so I think it's important that people are buying into the the program that they're going to go to, not just the coach as, as much as the coach often is the program. Um, I think it's important to see the bigger picture rather than just going, I'm just going there because I want to be coached by, by that individual person. And, and also, thanks Alex. But also, that's a very important point, but also, for example, all the, all the years that I coach uh, in college in America, I had a one-year contract. So, you know, even at Northwestern, I had a nine-month contract that I told them, please, it's a nine-month contract, just spread it to 12 months so I have some steady income every month. And you don't know if they're going to renew you or not. And that's how I lived for 20-plus years. You know, even at Bowles, it was the same thing. They had the will to fire you. They didn't give you a multi-year contract. So that's a hard thing to live with, you know? Like I know Kip had a multi-year contract and probably USC or Kip had to pay a lot of money, you know? Like I know the first year, you know, when I was at Auburn, for example, I, I found out through Swimsome that I didn't have a job at Auburn. That was it. They didn't even talk to me. They didn't even say anything. We had a very successful season and you find yourself, you, um, your boss resigns and you're holding the four for five weeks, and then you find through Swimson, they, they hire somebody else that has no experience being a head coach. And they never told you. So, and, and for example, if I want to leave now, I will have to pay an, a, a ridiculous amount of money. I have a seven-year contract. Well, now it's a five-year contract. It's still remaining. I have to pay a lot of money to leave because they invested in me. And if I want to leave, I have to pay, you know, makes sense. So it's not all what people think, you know, sometimes some coaches have a year contract and if USC really want to keep and say, hey, keep, you have to pay half a million dollars to leave uh, Northwestern, we'll pay it for you. So if they did that, you know, so. We really changed the subject here. So, so, yes, go ahead. Yeah, um, I wanted to ask you, like, you had this question, um, your email about your favorite swimming equipment and stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I want to ask you, and what was your favorite equipment when you were a swimmer? And... Uh, now as a coach what do you like to use well i think i think i don't know probably my favorite equipment was fins you know i like to do i like to use the fins because fins really allow me to finish a practice uh, with my body on top of the water and really feeling pretty good about my swimming instead of like finishing a practice just broken down and you know and and more the older i got i use a lot more fins with joseph nagy we did a lot of fast stuff at the end of practice and that was very refreshing to be able to have a very hard practice and finish with your body, feeling your body position in a different stroke pretty well. So I like fins. I think the question Did you is, use, that time, did you use short, long fins or like oh, at that time any we, specific? At that time, there were not short fins. There were, mm -hmm. the, there were really short fins that I don't know how they're called, that they were very hard for your ankle that they, you know. Uh, we never use those. We use longer fins. And those fins, I really like them. The, the fins they use for scuba diving or whatever it is. So I like those. You know, uh, I never used short fins when I was a, a swimmer. Uh, they came after, you know, afterwards. The surfers used to use them, but uh, we never used them in the, in the pool. Um, I think the question that was in the email was about now with the budget cuts and we're having a low budget or this or that if you had to use pick one one piece of equipment which one would you use you know i think it's either fins and par or parachute you know i like the parachute a lot because i can work uh, a lot of the resistance you know and uh, at different levels and you know you can have parachutes they open they close and and you you know, you can do a lot of power, speed, you can swim aerobically. So 
I, I like that piece and probably it's one of the pieces that or the piece that I would be either fins or pressure that I would like to to have on my program. So. I think if we're talking about budget, I'm sorry to step in, but since we don't have so much budget to buy parachutes, a regular sponge for washing a car works fairly well. You know, we, we've all used a sponge, right? And if we're talking about budget, um, you buy 20 sponges for car washing and you tie them up to a rope and you make a lasso to um, tie them up to the swimmer and it works fairly well. Oh, I, uh, uh, Miguel, I agree with you, but you can have a parachute made of, you get a mesh bag that you have, you know, most of our swimmers in America have a mesh bag and you fill it up with t-shirts, you know, you have four or five t-shirts that you don't use and you can use a mesh bag without a t-shirt, then you can put one extra t-shirt, two extra t-shirts, you know, have like a little rope or one of those simple belts, and then you have a parachute that you can use, you know, you can be creative. But I think some sort of resistance would be nice, you know, to create some sort of resistance. But I also like the fins, the idea of the fins, you know. So, you know, I will have to choose between, you know, I think it's cheaper to do a mesh bag with t-shirts or figure out like a sponge than to buy fins, you know. Some fins are pretty expensive. What do you think, Alexander? What do you think it would be the piece of equipment that you would use? I mean, if I have a budget, I would probably buy pedals. Um, I mean, like, I believe in, like, the large and medium-sized pedals depends on the stroke. And I would probably use, I mean, fins definitely nowadays. I think I didn't use as much when I was uh, an athlete, but, um, I believe like nowadays it's, it's quite crucial and important piece of e equipment. So fins and pedals. Yeah, I guess, um, those, those two, two things I would, I would definitely prioritize. Uh, apart from that, I guess snorkel is good for like practicing good body position, kicking and stuff like that without turning your head. Um, I mean, Nothing else, I guess. <laughs> what about you, Alex, or Andrew, or Taylor, or somebody? Yeah, okay. Uh, I'd, oh, go on, sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, I'd, I'd probably go fins being in an age group program. I think it's the piece of equipment that I would be able to use over the greatest sort of span of athletes, but... If you're looking at buying brand new equipment, fins aren't the cheapest thing. But I think if I'm looking, I'm allowed one piece of equipment, I'm probably taking fins because I can use it from the the juniors, 10 and unders, all the way up to our, our senior athletes. So, yeah, I'd probably go with fins as well. Awesome. Yeah. I, I, think, I think I'd be similar. Obviously, you have to start with a swimming costume. If you don't have that, you're screwed. But... Uh, um, I'd probably say fins. I do like the snorkel as well, like Alex says. Um, but I'd, yeah, I think fins first. Just just a set of fins for, you know, even even for warm up, just taking a bit of the pressure off the shoulders sometimes as well. Like not not always just for the, the power stuff or the fast stuff. And it's it's I've found that the more you start to wear fins, when it, it, for me it depends. Like our younger kids, I don't really like using it, especially. I do see some coaches, not so much in our program now, but I do see some coaches will put fins on for butterfly and, and feel that that is the, the way. And I think for me, it's the worst possible way to teach butterfly for the young kids because as soon as you take them off, they're kicking from the knee and, they've, and they can't actually, they look great with the fins on, they never actually learn how to do it properly. So for me, the fins is much more, certainly at, at the higher level. And, and our senior guys now, are at the point of like, oh, no, I don't want to wear the fins, which to me is in some ways quite a good thing because it shows that they're, they're using them to work rather than using them to kind of have a bit of a cruisy time and, a, and a, you know, make life a bit easier. But, yeah, definitely, I'd, I'd say fins. And the, and the snorkel as well for the, for the other things, exactly like Alex says, body position stuff. Also just 
that breath control as well. Um, as they get better, uh, um, you know, putting a little limiter on the on the snorkel is quite good at the lower aerobic uh, aerobic levels as well. I like that. Awesome. Thanks. I mean, just adding to Taylor's uh, uh, fins and his view on using fins. It's just I feel like like a lot of swimmers nowadays, since they do maybe multiple sports their ankles and uh, usually their ankles are quite tight and it's quite a good piece of equipment to use to like kind of like stretch it down a little bit and have a little bit more flexible and floppy ankles and you don't really have to do much just do an 800 to 1000 meter kick on your like front or side or whatever like as long as you feel that little tightness in your ankles you, you're going to be able to stretch it down so I think it's a great, great, great stuff to use. Um, I mean, nowadays uh, you can buy all sorts of different sizes and shapes. So I, I feel like like maybe the shorter and a little bit not so stiff by the same time, not so like soft fins are quite handy. Like those tech tech twos and uh, the 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 new generation. I don't know whether there is tech three. Can't remember. Um, those are great fins for 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 pretty much all, all four strokes. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Alex. I like to use a snorkel um, by putting it in the children's mouth. It prevents them from talking. <laughs> That's awesome. You can put a tape too. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, my, yeah, really, uh, I, I hate social kick. I can't stand it. I, I see no point in it. And uh, uh, I, I like to kick and I like to kick fast. Um, and, and the snorkel does that job for me. It takes away from the social kick and, and makes it a, a strong, fast kick. Um, yeah, uh, I, I love the fins. I, I'm sold on fins. I can do a lot of work with the fins um, in many, many different ways. And uh, I, love, I love long fins. With me, I teach my children fins is for fast, paddles is for power. Um, but I agree, I think Taylor, I think it was Taylor who said it, um, definitely when I put fins on the kids, um, if we don't talk about it, they start to cruise. And actually, if we're doing whatever, 10 100s or, or 30 100s, whatever, if we're doing that with fins, I actually don't see a change in, in their results. They actually go the same speed or a similar speed on say 2100s with fins as they do without the fins. And to me, that only means that they're not working as hard. They're letting the fin do the work rather than uh, uh, actually doing the work themselves. And so um, uh, for that purpose, um, uh, my, my coaching team and I do a lot of talk that if we're going to put the fins on, we need to see a, a marked difference in, in, in terms of the, the outcome of, of of the speeds you're putting down in the specific sets. Awesome, thanks. Uh, good. All right, guys. If nobody wants to talk about anything else, maybe we finish here. Uh, I don't know if anybody has any other things they wanna want wants to bring up. I want to ask. Uh, I don't know. Is Miguel still on the call? Uh, I don't see him. I Coach see his iPad thing. Yeah, yeah. I just um, I lay down on the couch and I turn off my um Yeah. So I Coach, turn off my uh, camera when I lay down. Yeah. I don't want to hijack this uh, conference, but maybe I think you've been back in the pool uh, a couple of days um, with your FINA team and your UWC kids. And um, maybe because we're all just uh, so frustrated waiting to get in the water. Maybe you can share with us sort of, um, I don't know, your, your protocols, um, how you go about, I don't know, you're one, one swimmer in a lane per lane for one, I don't know. Maybe you can just give us a brief overview of how you're back in the water, uh, face masks, uh, a, a little understanding of how, how you've managed to return and how things are going, being back in the water where we all want to be, hopefully in a couple of weeks. Yes, absolutely. Um... So we've been back in the water for a week. We were allowed back Monday morning last week. 
and uh, the Thai government has been very specific on some protocols, and we've added some more. Okay, so um, we can go back in the water one hour at a time, one swimmer per lane, and we try to um, indicate that they need to swim on top of the black line, so they maintain the distance of um, security, and then lanes one and eight are to swim next to the walls, so maintain a little extra distance. We are considering going on two lanes swimming, one lane off, so that one swims on the left, one on the right, and then a lane off, and we get even a little more separation. But we haven't, uh, for now we're going, so we have two pools, a 50 meter pool and a 25 meter pool, that means we can swim um, 16 people at a time, and out of those 16 people at a time, per hour, we're doing seven hours. As a coach, I'm coaching seven hours, so that means, um, I can roughly coach, um, I'm actually coaching um, about 50 people and the FINA kids are doing triple sessions. So doing one in the morning, one hour in the morning, one hour three to four, and now one hour six to seven, okay? Now what's happened is, as you all know, we did a lot of dry land and that had a few consequences, number one, they were stronger, but their muscles were shorter. We're trying to lengthen their muscles again. Number two, we did a lot of core work, and that has shifted the balance in the water. Breaststrokers are looking really good, but it took three or four days to refine that balance in the water. And number three, we started very careful with a lot of backwards swimming, a lot of underwater swimming, so that we made sure that the shoulders went back in place fairly quick. The sets, um, they are being shorter, so a normal, normal anaerobic threshold set or a normal aerobic capacity set would be a 30-minute set before. Now we do 20 minutes, and we try to go a little slower and a little more rest, but not much. So maybe... 10 seconds more per 100, and they go five seconds lower per 100 to begin with. And we're building that now. And, um, and um, we have put shields between lane lines, which um, we haven't built all of them. We, we haven't had time, but we're trying to put shields between the lane lines. I don't know if you've seen them in different, um, different pools where they they go 50 centimeters over the lane line so that if a swimmer talks to another, they have that shield on the wall only. Um, and every time one group comes, they come at separate ends. So one group starts on the jungle end, so to speak, and the other one on the... Um, on the um, but at the end of the day, even if we separate ends, the FINA kids particularly live together. So they finish all that protocol and then they get out and three of them go together in the shower. And when I go try to get angry at them, they say, we live in the same room, what a, you know. But, but I, I insist that they need to follow the protocol because we are in public and that protocol will be followed by the younger kids as we open more and more. And I don't know if you want me to extend any further on that. Um, so, uh, are the coaches wearing face masks as well while coaching? Uh, just a shield like Taylor is uh, demonstrating for us, or uh, uh, actual? Yeah, I have my um, face mask like I have it like this, and if somebody gets close to me, I'll put it on. <laughs> but I, I have it. There you go, Sergio. Um, wait. Oh, look at that one, VT. I, I, oh. I bought one of these. <laughs> Whoa. Here we go. Whoa, so now I look like a farmer, huh? That's awesome. So this this is, serial uh, killer and then outback. <laughs> <laughs> this you can buy in 7-Eleven for about um, two Singapore dollars or even less. 
and I have it next to the um, lifeguard um, uh, chair. So if somebody comes, I'll just put it on. And the mask I'll be wearing down here, and if somebody comes close to me, I'll put it on. And I always tell them I put it on out of respect for you in case I was infected. You know, uh, you, so, you, are, you are infected of something, that's for sure. We don't know I, I have an infection of it, yeah. <laughs> We've always known that. Uh, we agree with that. Uh, when you say, yeah, when you say you're coaching, um, say, seven hours, uh, one hour after the hour, then do you repeat the same program? for each different group that coming in. So like, I don't know, seven to eight in the morning is one group, then your eight till nine o'clock, you do the same program with your seven um, to eight o'clock in the morning and eight till nine o'clock in the morning, for example, or you change I, the programs depending on the group. I could actually send you a day's work if you want, but we do, so with the FINA group, we will divide, like in the morning we do one hour. I do that same hour, six to seven, seven to eight, eight to nine, same program adapted to different people. And in the evening for the FINA group, the group that is um, fortunate enough to swim two hours, they'll swim three to four, and that's one program. And then six to seven, that'll be another program. And But they are, like, when I designed the workout, now what I did was design the workout, shorten the main set, increase a warm-up on the second half, and do um, what I have planned for one day, broken up in two different pieces. And that changes a little bit. Because if I have one main goal for the day, I may do it twice. Let's say I have an anaerobic capacity. Instead of doing uh, 1250s, I will do 850s in the first group and 850s in the second. Or I may do the main set on one group and a recovery session on another. And that's very, it, it changes a lot depending on the day. Okay, thank you. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, you're very welcome. You know, when we go uh, into the water, Miguel, we're going we're gonna to take some floaties and we're going to have a couple of beers and just float around. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, hey, when, when you're able to come back here, I'll, uh, we'll, we'll get a couple of uh, floaties and we'll call a couple of, um, of entertainers yeah. we're gonna and go bring them down to the pool with us. Uh, we're going to go visit the big Buddha, but you know what happens when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> we, all, we all know, we all know. But, um, okay. uh, I'm going to go back in my couch, so I'm going to turn off the video, but if you have more questions, I'll turn them back on. No, I think we're going to finish this. Guys, anybody has anything else? No? Awesome. So, so yeah, thanks for helping with my question as well. Yeah, no problem. If hopefully it helps. Um, I think most important, trust yourself. I think you can learn more from the experience that you have and from the kids that you have in front. And, uh, and just trust yourself. Before you, you listen to somebody else to make a decision about something that you really want to do and uh if you guys for next week we don't have a subject a topic but if anybody comes out with something if not i'll come out with something but they, they, they can stimulate this conversation and, and that we can chat about it um, Sergio, i was i was running there was a topic um uh i was listening to a couple of weeks ago and it's cropped up quite a bit recently uh, about the differences between um, guys and girls and how they train how we train them I know we've kind of touched on that already a couple of weeks ago um, but also I guess tapering with the youth age group is quite an interesting subject is it is it worth it uh, how much do they need to be doing how much time do they need to be kind of in the water in a lead up to a taper for it to be worthwhile or is it just giving them a little bit of a rest? Now, when do we call it a taper? When is it just kind of like a yeah, okay, take it, take take the session before competition off? You know, if you went on a holiday for three weeks at Christmas, what and you have four weeks in the pool training, what what's the point in in a taper? You know, so I wonder I wonder if there's a conversation around that. I uh, we can send me an email like you did this week with the points that you want, and if nobody says anything, we'll start with that and we'll we'll see where we go. You know. All right, thanks a lot. Hopefully something will come out of it. Thanks, sir. Yeah.
Coach Serge, I just want to say next week, um, there's supposed to be a town hall meeting with the SSA. Um, it's on Wednesday at 10 o'clock, the same time as your, uh, uh, your regular conference call. Um, just to bear in mind that uh, some of us might might be involved in that SSA town hall, um, so either joining your your session later. Um, uh, there's two sessions. One is on Monday afternoon. One is on Wednesday. Um, obviously, I work for for Auntie May, so um, I'm just waiting on her to let me know which one she wants me to attend. But just for for your own knowledge. There's a SSA town hall happening on Wednesday next week, yeah. 10 o'clock, which yeah. is the same time that you hold this conference here um, with us in Singapore. If, if you guys think that we need to change the time, I'm, I'm more than happy to change the time. Uh, you know, we can do it earlier, or we can, uh, I don't know if I can do it later, you know. Uh, Not uh, late. You know, because honestly, I've been going to bed late, but now that I can move, I need to lose some of my boobies and my my belly and i started exercising so i'm getting up at 7 30 to exercise with my daughter so uh if, if if i do it late it'll be too too late for me it's midnight here already almost it's it's almost midnight here so if you guys say hey sergio can we do it 8 a.m our time or, or or 11 and we go for an hour an hour and a half i'm fine with it you know whatever you guys it's uh, it's convenient for you uh, if you know, and if nobody says anything, we'll start at ten, and whoever can join can join. Uh, maybe next week will be only a monologue between me and Miguel, and whoever <laughs> whoever is not in uh -huh. Singapore. Uh, well, I think I think there's quite. I, I'm going on Monday, uh, Gil, to that thing. I don't know if it's is it. This, Choosing whether there's one or the other, I'm not sure, but I think they want to know who's. It could be. It could be Monday. It could be Wednesday. I don't know if there's two or not. I'm not sure. Let's see. Just let me know. We have a week ahead of us, so as long as you guys tell me, I can change it very quickly. Uh, if it, if that means that more people can be here and we can just chat about more things, you know. I'm interested in in some beard grooming. I've not I've not shaved now in eight weeks. I've decided I'm just not going to shave. Until I don't know when. A year. I just trim it today. I don't know how I look. <laughs> I I I feel I feel I feel so handsome with this year. It looks good. I just don't think it's ever going to get that long. I just I want I've, I've never grown a beard in my life. I'm thinking how can it get that long? Oh, it will. Don't worry. It will. <laughs> you you might not be that long with your wife. <laughs> That's a different story. Yeah. But <laughs> you already told me there's no point, but I'm just, well, what difference does it make? I said we're married. I'm not trying to impress anyone. It's fine. That's that's what I say. Hi <laughs> right, guys. Have a okay. beautiful day and Thank hope, you. Hope things yeah. get better for you guys over there. And we'll talk next week, yeah. okay? Right, bye bye. Bye. Thank you.